What am I really doing here? Is this what I should be doing? Should I be going in some different direction? Anybody? How about this one? Has anybody here ever messed up so badly? Ever blown it in such a way or series of ways where you have felt like because of mistakes that I have made, my life can't ever have a good direction again? Anybody? Or how about this one? Anybody here ever have uh, such doubts about Christianity, about the Bible, about this Jesus thing? Questions, these lingering questions that make it just hard to believe, maybe it's kept you from arm's length from, from Jesus, from the church, from the faith. Are any or all of those three true about you? Because if they are, I want to share a story from the Bible this morning that I think can speak directly to you where you're sitting today. I think as only God can, God speaks to us from his word. And I'm warning you before we start, I've been praying this week that God would speak through, through my preparation, through his word, through the words that will come out of his mouth, that you will hear me, but it will be God that speaks right to you with whatever you brought in with you this morning. So don't be surprised if that happens, because God hears our prayers, and that's what I've been praying. I think God can speak to you over the next few minutes through this passage. Now, before we get to the passage, I have to get you caught up so you understand what the characters, what the people who went through this, what we're going to read this morning, what they've just gone through by the time we pick up. We're going to start in John chapter 21, and where we pick up this morning, this isn't exactly an Easter morning Resurrection Sunday passage, it's actually after that. Where we pick up this morning, Good Friday and Easter have already happened. What that means is on Friday, Jesus was crucified. He was turned over by the Jews to the Romans. The Romans uh, just humiliated and brutally executed Jesus. Now the Bible tells us that didn't happen on accident. Um, it didn't happen merely in a travesty of justice, though it was that. The cross happened, the Bible tells us, because God the Father made it happen. God the Father ordained the execution of Jesus, his son. Because, here's how much God loved the world. But he gave his only son, and he gave him to that cross. The Bible says that he became our sin on that cross. And so what was happening during the humiliation during the torture, during the crucifixion, during the execution, is God taking, he took all of the wrath that he had been storing up with which to punish the sins that sinners sinned, you and me. He took all that wrath and instead of waiting and pouring it out on us when we die forever and ever, he poured it out on his son 
instead. That's what we mean when we say Jesus died for you. He died because of you, because it was your sin he became. And he died instead of you. So someday, even though you die, you will live. If you believe that's what Jesus did. So that's happened already before we pick up this morning. And Easter morning has happened. Uh, they went to the tomb. He didn't stay dead. That's how we know that what I just explained to you about the cross is actually legit. Like, how do we know? How do we know that Jesus wasn't just a guy that made some really powerful enemies who treated him really bad? How can we be sure that was God's doing? The resurrection's how we know. The Bible says his friends went to the tomb that Sunday morning, and it was empty. And then Jesus began appearing to his friends, the first ones to the tomb, to his friends in smaller groups, eventually to hundreds of people, to a guy named uh, we call the Apostle Paul now. And here's what happened to those people on Friday night when Jesus was arrested and he was being horribly mistreated. All of his friends became giant frady cats, right? They couldn't get away from Jesus fast enough. I don't want to be associated with that. They all ran away and hide, and one denied even ever having known him. But then, within a matter of weeks, within a matter of 40 days, something turned these frady cats into people who were willing to go into all the world and tell people Jesus didn't stay dead. He raised from the dead. He resurrected. My money is on this, that the reason they were willing to be arrested, tortured, and executed themselves for spreading that message is because that's what actually happened. I know some people believe that the, the resurrection was just some lie the disciples made up. Listen, people will lie for profit. Happens all the time. People will lie to be more popular. Happens all the time. People will lie to get something they want. Nobody lies in order to get imprisoned and tortured and executed. And all of Jesus' original followers were willing to do that, and none of them ever recanted and said, okay, 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 you're right. We made it all up. It never happened because the resurrection of Jesus Christ was real, and it filled them with such hope that they have something far better to look forward to. You can do whatever you want, me, want to me in this life. I'm going to the next one. Now I'm getting a bit ahead of our story. Because where we pick up this morning, um, Good Friday has happened, and the fear has happened, and, and Easter Sunday morning has happened, and the, the passage John just told us in his book is the Doubting Thomas story. Jesus just appeared to his disciples in a closed room, and his one disciple named Thomas, he said, here, put your hand where the soldier put the, the sword. Put your, put your fingers in the holes that the nails made. So you know it's me. Right? That just happened. So the disciples know Jesus was crucified. They know he raised from the dead. But now what? That's where we pick up the disciples today. The, 
Jesus has told him, you just go into Galilee and wait. And so when we open our Bible this morning, they're in Galilee and they're waiting and they're in this now what phase. And John's not done with his story. And Jesus isn't done revealing who he really is to his disciples. They haven't gotten the Great Commission yet. They don't know what they're supposed to be doing. And this is how Jesus showed up one day to continue teaching them who he really is, what he's really like. John chapter 21, we're going to read the first 14 verses. After these things, the the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to Peter, we will also come with you. And they went out and got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach and the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, you don't have any fish, do you? And they answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll find a catch. And so they cast, and then they were not able to haul the net in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he grabbed his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea and began swimming to shore. Verse 8, the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards, dragging that net full of fish. And when they got out on land, they saw charcoal fire already laid and, and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured or dared to question him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise and This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. There's our story. It opens in verse 7 with the disciples together at what is called here the Sea of Tiberias. Elsewhere it's called the Sea of Galilee or uh, Gennesaret. Same body of water, different names. Um, They are, again, they're, they're where they're supposed to be. Galilee. But they're in this now what stage. They haven't been told, go into all the world and make disciples and baptize folks yet. So in verse 3, Peter says, I'm going fishing. Can I get an amen right there? Always a good idea. I'll go, I'm going fishing. And the other disciples, we went with you, and they, they get in their boat. Now, there are some Bible scholars who, who teach who say that, that this, was, this was sin on the part of the disciples. This amounts to them turning their backs on their new way of life, Jesus, and going back into their old way of life. I, I don't really think so, because what else are they supposed to do? 
They haven't been given their new way of life yet. They believe in the cross. They believe in the resurrection. They're just supposed to be waiting. Well, they got to eat, right? And, and they don't just want to stand around. So they, they're professional fishermen. At least four of these seven guys who are there are professional fishermen. So they get in the boat and go. Now, I will say this, though. It is about the easiest thing in the world to come to believe in the cross and the resurrection and slide right back into your old way of life. That much is definitely, definitely true. Jesus is going to make clear, though, that is not his plan for these guys. He's got something different in mind. So they go fishing all night. They catch nothing. Verses 4 through 6. Very early in the morning, as either they pass by a beach, or maybe that's the beach they were planning to come into anyway, I don't know, but there's a man they don't recognize on the shore. We know that it's Jesus, but they didn't at the time know that's who it was. It's very early in the morning. They're 100 yards away. Maybe it's dark. Uh, maybe the light is behind them, but they don't know who it is. And, and whoever this man is on the shore calls out. Uh, the Greek word is paideia, which does literally mean children. But it's not, uh, he's not calling his little kids or even his followers. This was, it's a, it's a colloquialism. Like, it would be like me saying, hey, guys, right? Dudes, okay? People. He says, you don't have any fish, do you? And the disciples answer very briefly, no. Here's, here's one way I just know this is an actual eyewitness account. Because if you have ever been fishing all day or all night and caught nothing, when someone asks you how it went, you don't really want to talk about it. Trust me, I have a lot of experience in this. This is exactly what a fisherman would say. Hey, how'd it go? Not good. So then this man they don't recognize yells from the shore and tells them, hey, Take your net and throw it down on the right side of the boat right now. You'll catch something. And they, they throw their net in, and there's this miraculous catch. Now, I'm going to do something I don't normally do, which is put myself in a position different than most of the good commentaries on the book of John. Usually, if I want to say one thing and most of the good commentaries say something else, you should believe most of the commentaries and not me. But not today. Because most of the commentaries here start saying it is something like they, they don't understand why professional fishermen would suddenly take the advice of just some guy on the beach. For example, Dr. Gerald Borchert in his New American Commentary, which is really good and he's really smart, but he says this, why the disciples who were seasoned fishermen obeyed an apparent stranger on the land especially since it is assumed they have been working up and down the sea in that area during the night, remains an unstated mystery. Why on earth would they obey this? And to Dr. Gerald Borchardt, I would respectfully ask, have you ever been fishing? And have you ever fished all day or all night and been skunked? And have you ever fished all day or all night and been skunked and had somebody, I don't care who it is, say, hey, you ought to try over there. You'll probably catch something. Guess what? Every fisherman I have ever known will do. He will try over there. Believe me. So that's all this is. They try over there. And when they do, 
there are suddenly so many fish in that net, they can't pull the net up over the side of the boat. They just have to sail the boat into the beach so they can drag this net ashore. In verses 7 and 8, the disciples react. I'm sure most of the disciples at about the same time realized who they were dealing with. But John, the author, he calls himself in this book the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's the one that says it first. He looks at Peter and says, It's the Lord! And Simon Peter, he hears that. He grabs his outer garment, which he took off to be tending the nets and working. He throws that on and he just cannonballs it right into the sea and swims his way toward Jesus. Now there's a reason that Peter would have been in the biggest hurry to get back to Jesus because Peter is the one who had been the biggest jerk to Jesus. Peter is the disciple that after Jesus was arrested, followed him into the, to the first phase of his trial in the courtyard of the high priest. He was recognized as a follower of Jesus and three times he said, I've never met that guy. You got the wrong person. There's no way I'd ever follow a guy like that. He finally calls curses down on himself. To put it in modern language, he said something like, may I be damned to hell if I have ever known that guy. And at that minute, Jesus locked eyes with his friends, with his friend. And so Peter, Peter like, Nuclear blows it. And because Peter has messed up the worst, today, during, during that story, what Peter sees happening is a recreation of sorts. This is deja vu for Peter. See, this is not the first time that Jesus has done this miraculous catch of fish in a net bit with Peter. Peter sees oh, this is happening again. Luke tells the story. We won't turn there. I'll just tell you. But this was part of how Jesus first invited Peter to be a disciple. Toward the beginning of the book of Luke, Luke says, uh, Jesus found two pairs of fishermen brothers to be his disciples. Peter, his brother was Andrew, um, James, and his brother John. And those four knew of Jesus because of the ministry of John the Baptist. And one day Jesus had been, had been teaching and the disciples had been out fishing before they were disciples. And they came in from, once again, a long night of fishing and caught nothing. And when they pull in, Jesus gets in their boat and he asks Peter, hey, will you back up just a little ways, drop anchor, because I want to use this as like a pulpit. You, uh, and so Jesus preaches from Peter's boat to the people on shore. If you've ever been um, out at the lake when things are really calm, you ever notice how far away you can hear? So Jesus uses that as like a, an amphitheater, like a microphone. And so he preaches from Peter's boat. And when he's done, he tells Peter, this guy he doesn't know well, he says, now back up just a little ways farther and drop your net down again. I'll bet you catch something. And Peter says, Sir, I mean, I'm kind of the professional fisherman here. You're a wandering carpenter. We've been fishing all night, you know, when the fish can't see the nets coming. It's daytime. 
This isn't going to do any good, but if you want me to humor you out of respect to you, I'll do it. And you can guess what happens. He drops his net over, and there's so many fish jammed in that net. The nets threaten to break. Peter's afraid his boat is going to sink. He calls his friends over to help him with all the fish. And Peter's reaction to Jesus at that point, he falls down in front of Jesus, like falls down, and then he calls him Lord. He had called him Sir. And he calls him Lord, and he says, Go away from me, because I'm so full of sin. Like, you're obviously from God, and I am very far from God, so you, sh- you should have nothing to do with me. And that's when Jesus invited Peter to come follow me. And I'll help you catch people. That's part of the story of Jesus calling Peter to be his disciple. Now, fast forward after Peter once again has blown it. He knows he's full of sin. He throws that net over the boat and he sees a miraculous catch. It's Jesus. You know what he thinks? He's calling me again. He's calling. He might, at least might be calling me again. And he's not going to miss that possibility. And off the front of that boat, into the water, swims to the shore. Because I'm not going to miss an opportunity to follow Jesus. The rest of the disciples follow with the boat. They drag the net of fish. When they get ashore... They see that, uh, that Jesus is ready to have breakfast with failures. Now, to be clear, I named the sermon this morning Breakfast with Failures, not the breakfast we had like an hour ago. I didn't name that Breakfast with Failures. That would have been rude. The sermon is Breakfast with Failures, and, and here's why. They get, they get to shore, and Jesus has made of, he's prepared this whole thing. He set this whole thing up. He's got a fire that's cooked long enough that it's down to the coals, good for cooking. He's got rocks or a grill or whatever they used then, and he's got fish laid out and, and bread cooking. Very interesting to me in verse 10, Jesus says, bring some of the fish that you guys have caught. Here's why I find that interesting. This is the risen, glorified Jesus Christ obviously can do whatever he wants whenever he wants it he didn't need their fish right couldn't he have put out a 10 course meal if he wanted to so Jesus Jesus often works Jesus doesn't need us but he invites us he invites us to participate in what he does and he will accept what we do when we follow his direction. File that away for a minute. They drag the, so they drag the net, and there's 153 big fish in there. Now, Christians have been tripping over themselves to figure out why John used the number 153. Here's why. That's how many fish were in the net. Like, <laughs> like I don't know what else to tell you. There's not a... Listen, again, have you ever been fishing... If you know a fisherman, when he doesn't catch anything all day or all night, he he doesn't want to talk about it. But let him catch 153 fish, and we won't shut up about it, right? And it's a great fish story. There's 153 in there. You know, what I would love is if our Bible, every year it would add one to that number, right? That would be a better fish story. Like It gets bigger and bigger the whole time, but 
but it's the word of God. You can't do that. So there's 153 fish in there. And then the disciples hear this from, again, the Lord they deserted and ran out on. Hey, come sit down and have breakfast. Come eat with me. Then John ends with this little tidbit. None of the disciples, I like this translation because it captures the Greek a little better, dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Now, why would they want to ask, who are you, if they know it's the Lord? Like, they know this is Jesus, but there's something inside them that wants to say, like, is this really you? Like, seriously? It seems hard to believe. And so Jesus feeds them, and they have a meal together. And John says, that's the third time Jesus revealed himself to his disciples. That's the story of breakfast with failures. The story of Jesus showing up where the disciples they were where they were supposed to be, but they didn't know what they were supposed to be doing, and he showed up to teach them about himself and about them in their now what phase. Now, that, that, that passage is not about us. It's about real people that really happened a long time ago. But it can teach us a lot. First, I don't know if this passage is the best place that teaches this, but it's super important. Now, if you are not where the disciples were at the beginning of this passage, it's really important you get there. By the time this passage opens, the disciples believed Jesus was crucified for sins they committed and rose again to prove that was true. Today can be the day. Right now, you can place your faith in Jesus Christ. You, because I've never understood that he died in my place. Like, that's what I should, have, should deserve before God. And he died instead of me. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. My friend, the only way your sins can be dealt with by a righteous, by a just God, you just have two choices. Either you can pay for your sins for all of eternity. Or you can believe Jesus did that in your stead, in your place. Believe in Jesus. If you've made it that far, now what? That's this passage. In a lot of ways, I think the disciples at the beginning of this passage are like us. Think about this. They are sailing along through their regular life. They believe in Jesus. They still have a job. They're fishermen. Um, They're sailing along, kind of wondering what to do. And their Lord, Jesus, is already safely to the shore, preparing a feast and a place for them. Is that like us? Is that like Christians? Here we are sailing through our lives. The Lord, we can't see him. He's not physically in the boat with us. He is safely to that golden shore. He can see us and he can still direct us from where he is. If we pay attention. So what do we learn from from this passage? First, which is number two on the screen here. It is really important if you believe in Jesus that you seek direction from Jesus. 
You ever wondered about the direction of your life? What am I really doing? Where should I be going? Listen, God has a direction. He wants your life to go. And it is always following Jesus. That's the direction. And we need to seek the direction we get from God primarily from his word because this is what we can know is real and it doesn't change. And overwhelmingly, this book is clear. Now listen, I'm not, well, I don't mean that every page you open to and read something you will understand the first time you read it. That's what, not what I mean by, by this is clear. But the directions we are given what my life is supposed to look like, what my life is not supposed to look like, is really clear in the pages of this book. So the question is not, can I, do, I, you know, do I know what this says? It's, am I willing to set the direction of my life by what this says? See, the, the direction from God is always follow Jesus. It's never, hey, Pretend Jesus is okay wherever you're at. Just convince yourself he doesn't care. The invitation is always get behind Jesus. Follow Jesus. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's why Peter jumps in the lake. He doesn't want to miss an opportunity to get back behind Jesus. Do you know in the Gospels that Jesus never, that, excuse me, in the Gospels, the disciples never caught a single fish without Jesus' help? You know that? Professional fishermen. Maybe that's why at the end of his life, right before he died, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Friend, if you wonder about the direction of your life, the best direction your life can take is following Jesus. Apart from him, you can't do anything that lasts. And and just like the disciples, we may have, when we're following Jesus, long periods of darkness it didn't seem like we have any luck right it doesn't seem like there's any success long fishless nights but if we're following Jesus there comes those days where success is right on the other side of the boat we never know when that is but listen if we're not following Jesus and we're not paying attention to his direction we will miss out on those periods of joy and and wonder and happiness that are only available to those who are following him and paying attention for opportunities for good fishing. It's so easy to just go back to our regular life, feel like he's okay with where I'm at and what I'm... No! Follow Jesus and pay attention. Now another thing this passage teaches us that is just as vital and maybe more so is this. Don't let your sin keep you away from Jesus. It's so easy uh, when we blow it, when we realize our sin, 
to feel like if God knows what I have done, he could never be okay with me. He could never love me. He could never use me. He could never accept me. Well, you must get to the point where you see your sin as sin. That's why Peter jumped in the lake. Because he knew Jesus wasn't okay with where he'd been and what he'd been doing. But once he got to that point, and he was willing to say, he was willing to agree with the Lord that his sin was sin. There was nothing keeping him from going back to Jesus. He didn't love his sin more than he loved his Jesus. Don't. If you've ever been made to feel like you're too sinny of a sinner for the church or for Jesus, like you're wrong. And if it's a church that's made you feel like that, I apologize on behalf of Christendom. Because it's not true. The best illustration of this I've ever heard came from a, a pastor named Matt Chandler. He pastors a huge church down in Texas. And he tells this story. I think he was a freshman in college. And um, he was just fired up to go fishing for men. He was a new Christian. He was all kinds of fired up. And in this university class, I don't remember the details. I'm probably getting some of this wrong. But he got paired up like as a partner with uh, a single mom who had a really rough life. And she was like much older than him, much older meaning like she's like late 20s because he's like 18. Um, and he got a, had a heart for this gal and he got to know this gal, him and his wife both, and they babysat her kids. And he learned she was still like involved with someone whom she, who was married to someone else and her life was, was a mess, but he loved her and he knew what she needed was the Lord. And finally, before the end of the semester, he worked up the nerve to invite her to a church event, not his church, but a, a friend of his was playing in the band, and so he thought, hey, this is going to be it's going to be good. And so he said, will you come with my wife and I to this church event? And she accepted. And they went, and they sat down, and the music was awesome. It was great. And the preacher came up, and he held up a rose. And he said, before we start, I just want to take a minute to appreciate the wonder of our Creator. Look at this rose. Isn't it perfect? Isn't it wonderful? I want you all to be able to experience the beauty of this rose. And so he handed down the crowd. Make sure everybody gets to touch and handle and smell that rose, feel the petals and all that stuff. Then he went on and said, tonight I want to talk about sex. And Matt Chandler, sitting by the single mom involved with a married man, went, oh, no, not today, not today, not today, not today. And this guy went out to pour out to young, this was a college event to pour out the evils and the wrongness of immorality and to kind of scare people straight. And I'm sure much of what he said was maybe true, but it was so filled with condemnation and warning. And he mercifully was done and Chandler was ready to go home. And then almost as an afterthought, the guy said, oh yeah, where's my rose? And he got it up here. And by the time everybody had touched that thing, it was all nasty and the petals were falling off and the stem was broken and he held it up and said, look, this rose used to be pure and pristine and perfect, but after it's been handled by so many people, who would ever want a rose like this? And Matt Chandler said he was so embarrassed and so furious, he wanted to stand up and yell, Jesus wants the rose! Like, that's the point! Right? I, people that talk like that, I want to shake them 
say, like, if we're talking gardening here, you are closer to the fertilizer than you are to the rose compared to God. There's none of us that are pristine roses. And if you've ever been made to feel like Christianity is make yourself good enough so you fit in here, change churches. Because Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to be a friend of sinners. Now, don't hear me wrong. The invitation is still, come follow me. You're not too far gone, but don't stay gone. It's better here. Don't let your sin keep you from Jesus. But when you recognize that your sin is sin, don't miss the opportunity to believe and to follow. He will take you right where you are. I don't care how many times you've had to come back. He will take you, but he won't leave you there. His plan is better. Be willing to set the direction of your life from what he says. And finally, this passage teaches us, don't let your doubts keep you from Jesus either. You know that kind of weird little line at the end of this where the disciples are going to eat breakfast and John says, none of them dared to ask, who are you? Even though, because they already knew it was Jesus, but there was something inside them that like wanted to ask, like, is it really you? We have, don't let those big looming questions keep you from Jesus. You know what I love about that part about the disciples? They didn't want to say anything. They also didn't stay away from breakfast. Not just because they were hungry either. Like, I have this doubt, but I'm not staying away from Jesus. Right? Ours may not be, is it really you? Is the, but is the resurrection real? Um, you know, what happened to the dinosaurs? Um, how come a good, if God is good, terrible things happen to kids? Right? We have these things. And it's really easy to kind of have this, this deal where I, where I kind of say in my heart, whether it's out loud or just subconsciously, like, I'm not going there until I get all these questions answered. Can I just tell you that how silly that is? Like, and I'm probably stepping on your toes. But saying, I'm not going to go toward Jesus until all my questions about Jesus are answered is a little bit like saying, I'm not going to the grocery store until my pantry's already filled. You know what I mean? Um, I'm going to say that one more time. Uh, saying, I'm not going to go to church, I'm not going to go toward Jesus until all my questions about those things are already answered is a lot like saying, I'm not going to go to the grocery store until my pantry's already full. See, Jesus fills us up while we go to him. He didn't say, like, stay out in the boat, wherever you're at, wait till I, right? We get our questions answers, and our, but ask the questions, man. Ask the questions. The Bible has nothing to hide. Jesus has nothing to hide. Ask the questions, just don't let them keep you away. So, this morning, which of this speaks to you? Maybe, maybe you are the one who has not believed in Jesus. Maybe you've never asked God to let that be effective for you. You can do that today. Say, God, I, I believe, I get it. I, 
I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins in place of me, and I, and I want to follow you. Maybe you've been that far. Maybe what you need is to seek the direction of your life from Jesus and his word. I'm still there. This is lifelong. What direction have you been on? Where would he point you? We will miss out on the miracles if we won't follow him that far. How many disciples were named? Did you count? There were only seven. You know what I wonder? There were 11 left. Did the other four guys, were they just disobedient, didn't go at first? Did they miss out on that miracle simply because they didn't follow that much of Jesus' direction? I don't know, but that happens. Third, if you're stuck in sin, it could be pride, it could be being stubborn, it could be you insert your sin here. Don't let the love of something you are afraid he might make you quit keep you from going toward Jesus. Don't wait till you're cleaned up. Jump in that lake of faith. Swim for dear life for your Lord. He will take you. Let him help clean you up. And don't let your doubts and those lingering big questions stop you either. I don't know where you are, but you're on that list somewhere and so am I. So pray with me and we'll finish with a song. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the cross and the empty tomb. And I thank you for all these folks to be here to, to hear. And God, I have prayed this week that you would speak to, to the people who would be sitting in, in these very chairs. And so God, I want to ask you right now to, to keep in the, just with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, that you would... Uh, Continue to press in on those you have spoken to. You would reach into those, those dark and hidden places and hearts and help them begin to trust you. It's hard to change directions, Lord. It's hard to come toward you and leave sin behind or, or admit things. It's some of this stuff is hard to, to come toward you when I have these doubts and these questions. So God, I pray that you would cause some to believe in Jesus Christ. To cause and encourage some to set the direction of their life from you. To repent of sin and come back and follow Jesus. It is better there. And God, if I or anybody in this church can be of service to somebody who is struggling or made some of those decisions, I pay you'd uh, give them the, the courage to, to reach out so that we can help and come alongside and, and nourish and encourage. Because um, we want to be fishers of men. So you call us to be. We love you, Lord. Happy Easter. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.